the second day of Christmas, the sport blokes sent to me. Hey, it's 9.16 on, and I'm going to do it again. What day is it? Saturday, Saturday. the 23rd of the 12th, 2023. We've already tried this over the internet. Sound was shit. So should we just come around? Here we are again. We managed to get through 10 of the 12 yesterday. We got two left, two and 12. Here we are. Two and 12. That was Detroit's record of, <laughs> about a month ago. <laughs> oh, yes, dear. yes, indeed. Well, thank you for coming all this way and your commitment to the course, Shui. Very impressive. Oh, well, we don't want to put out half-assed crap. It's half Other than we half fast enough. Yeah. <laughs> we may as well at least make the half ass stuff half decent. So Now, when we first tried this, I will ask you, or I'll bring up the same stuff I brought up when we tried online. We probably should talk about a little bit of the sport that's happened today, shouldn't mm-hmm. we? I mean, that Wildcats-Melbourne United game was an absolute cracker, wasn't it? Wow. It was. And I think one of the things that we both sort of came up with off the back of it is, well, look, we should be sad that we lost, but I think the fact that the Cats were competitive, I think the fact that realistically there were quite a decent chain of events at the end that really led to us losing. You're up four points with 30 seconds left. You expect to win probably 99 times out of 100. Yeah. But a careless mistake from Jordan Usher throwing the ball. Well, on the back of... So Ian Clark butterfingered the ball to Jordan Usher. And then Jordan Usher took took it to the rack with 13 seconds still left on the clock, threw it out of bounds. We could have gone up six there or at least killed another 13 seconds. My next question is on the inbounds. Obviously, you know the ball's going to Chris Golding. Do you double him, give up a two instead of a three? Or do you just say, you know what, if he hits the three? I think the Wildcats have been defending pretty well. I think they they had to back themselves because they they did generate some steals at the top of the three-point mm. line there. So I think I think it's fair enough they back themselves. I just like but, the whole yeah. mantra of anyone but Golding. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Well, Ian Clark hit that RC. Sure. He was magnificent in the... So he went from goat to hero. I don't think that three was as RC. He, well, he got a wide open look. Yes, he banked it in. The banking was, yeah. Okay. Anytime it banks, yeah, it looks RC. Yeah. But yes, going back, obviously, to regulation, Bryce Cotton missing a free throw, that doesn't happen very often. No, either. true, true. And then, obviously, the Joel Luala-Chul, I'm sure everyone's probably seen it by now, the second bounce off the back of the room before it hit the front of the room. Yeah, on the first in. shot. So, yeah. On the first shot and the second one, obviously he made that as well. Which... And Corey Homicide tweeted, and he was at the game. They showed him at the game. Shout out to him. Lots of love to him. Looking very gaunt after his cancer treatment. Hopefully he's doing well. But yeah, he he said it was uh, reminiscent of Damon Lowry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Except he didn't do it on all three. No, true, yeah. Because yeah. he started in here. And it was in the grand final, yeah. But yeah. Uh, no, look, honestly, full credit to him. As we, we mentioned when we previously recorded, surprisingly only a 64% free throw shooter. Yeah, I thought he was like an 80% free throw. I was amazed. I fully expected him to hit both. I fully expected them to win in OT, and it's exactly what happened. Mm. I would have said 75-ish, but yeah, yeah. definitely better than you would think. It, so, yeah, there you go. There you go. And look, we did still one in OT in round six. Probably shouldn't shouldn't have had that one. Some poor refing in that one. So, yeah. don't, well, I can't feel too bad. All right, let's, let me let me do this. People are going to hate me for this. There's some pretty poor umpiring in this one as well. There were three M1s missed on Keanu Pinder in the first quarter alone. There was, I don't know if you saw the review that they overturned when Doolittle got fouled. I must admit, I only saw part of the fourth and overtime because we were down the beach. So My thing with that I've got to go back and watch the rest. So they've called a hands foul, but the ball's gone up. So if if you hit the ball, it goes down. Science, bitches. If, exactly. If, yeah, you, if yeah. you hit the hand or the arm, the ball goes up. Yeah. It's plain and simple. The ball cannot go up if you've hit the ball. 
Anyway, we were doing so well. No, fuck it. <laughs> Blame the umpires. No, no. Honestly. Well, the other funny thing is that the Aussie women in the cricket aren't looking so good after I talked about the fact that they hadn't lost since 2014 in tennis. <laughs> yeah, look, unfortunately, when you go and play in a dust bowl like they've created at the... What do they call it? The Vunkhead? I don't know. They don't pronounce it. Uh, yeah, well, it's not Wankhead. It's yeah. not Wankhead, yeah, no. Yeah. But, but certainly, it is an absolute dust bowl. And look, fair play to the Indians. They've got the home field advantage for a reason. Oh, of course. They're well and truly entitled to do that. Of course. But unfortunately, Yeah, big first innings lead on us, didn't they? they? They did. And unfortunately, when you're trailing by 200 runs, you can't really afford any brain farts. And that's exactly what happened. Beth we, Mooney, yeah. Beth Mooney had started off a, a pretty decent partnership. I think it was around 40-odd. And yeah, just blocked one to... It's, I keep forgetting. Yeah, what well, was like silly, kind of silly mid-off or something. Silly mid-off. Yeah. And... Instead of getting back in her crease, she's just wandered out and turned away. Johnny Besto, yeah. <laughs> but the difference is, we won't piss and moan about it no. the way the Poms did, and we won't blame the spirit of cricket. No, no. If frankly, the ball's not dead, the ball's not dead. Yeah. Get behind your crease. Stay in your crease. Unless you're in the BBL. That <laughs> was an interesting one. What was that, the uh, Stars and Thunder? That was at Albury, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, it was on the border. It was the border match. Victoria and New South Wales. Yeah. Well, there, were, yeah. there were two weird ones from that. Sam Harper giving out stumped on one that was incredibly close, but it wasn't even sent upstairs to the third umpire to look at. And, and it looked like his bat was grounded. It might have been unfortunate. Because it's all it. about timing, obviously, when the bales are dislodged. Yeah. yeah. And then the other really weird one. So I think it was, what, six for 172, four balls remaining. And you would absolutely forgive Harris Ralph, the number 11, for getting ready to start bowling. And sure enough, wicket, wicket, wicket. He has to come running onto the field, no pads on. Didn't, he had his gloves and his helmet in his hands, but he had none of them on. And everyone's looking at it going, holy shit, like imagine if he has to then face. Thankfully for him, it was one of those ones on the previous ball where it's driven down the ground. It's been knocked off the hands of the bowler onto the stumps. Oh, yeah. So he's come in at the non-strikers end. Oh, but yeah, okay. Everyone was panicking going, well, what if they have to sneak a single on a wide? Or, to face one, yeah. And he has to face one without pads. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. Very, very dangerous. But yeah, very crazy as well. Not something you see every day. Uh, great time of year for sport. Plenty going on. And there's a whole bunch we haven't talked about. But anyway, we're not going to do that here. Today is two turtle doves. And when we we're kind of brainstorming ideas, you realized that turtle doves referred to, I guess, true love, didn't you? So we thought we'd talk about sporting couples. Some of it's true love. Some of it may be uh, a bit half not truth. so much. <laughs> it's a half truth, yeah. <laughs> No, absolutely. Turtle Dove's the symbol of love. And yeah, what better form of love is there in the world than two elite athletes? Indeed. Yeah. Especially if they're Aussie. Yeah. Creating the next generation. Well, that's Knowing that next generation of elite athletes are a little more than a sexy time away. It's all, it's all we can ask for. Indeed. Really, yeah. Yeah. It's a Indeed. special kind of Christmas present. Indeed. But one of the things I really noticed. A white Christmas. Oh, no. no. <laughs> I tried to uh, I, I tried to Stephen Bradbury around that, but it uh, unfortunately yeah. you, you've got that. <laughs> oh dear. Now, one of the things I noticed when looking at these, it's it's really interesting. There are so many well-known sporting couples, and how often it was that they're trying to basically both go down their own path in their own career. Sometimes they're playing the same sport, makes it a little bit easier. Other times they're in different sports altogether, playing in different parts of the world. And it can be really, really difficult and it kind of can be a bit of a disaster in the end sometimes. And picking a career is not an uncommon problem to many couples or most couples indeed. Someone has to make sacrifices. Often both parties have to make sacrifices. But when you're travelling lots, it makes it even trickier. It does. Which is the life of an athlete. Yep. 
exactly. So, and the big thing is that the two sports that I'm looking at, tennis is the big one, and there's also golf. So those sports do very much take up different parts of the world. Touch every corner, basically. Yeah, nearly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I guess we've got two each and we've got two, I guess, where the perils of distance have maybe caused a lot of problems and two where it's maybe a little bit easier, I guess, for lack of a better phrase. Yep. So I wanted to start off with an absolute cracker, Andre Agassi and Steffi Graf. This was a story that, I thought I knew a fair bit about, but there's quite a few details that popped up where I was like, okay, wow, I didn't really see that coming. That's kind of a bit of a surprise. So it is absolutely a, a real love story. Two world number ones, a combined 30 Grand Slam singles titles, 22 of which belong to Steffi Graf. So, Well, she was one of the best. She absolutely one yeah. of the best. And yeah, she's left him in the, in the dust a little bit in terms of the numbers, but for him, when he's competing with the likes of Pete Sampras and made it difficult for Agassi to increase his numbers. But no, Steffi beat out all comers all over the world. She did an incredible job. They also have one Olympic gold medal each. So yeah, that's pretty cool. That, yeah. that is very, very cool. And there was a little bit of a gap there. So Steffi won hers in 1988 during the Steffi calendar year, basically. Yeah, the soul. The, yeah. The, the Graf yeah. Slam, basically. Yeah, so yeah the won, Golden Slam, they yeah, call it. Well, yeah. that was the Graf Slam because she won. They've uh, called uh, it the Graf uh, Slam because she accomplished it. But it's the Golden is, Slam because yeah. she won all four titles plus the oh, gold medal at the Olympics. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Actually, you're right. Yeah. Agassi won his eight years later in Atlanta. So Yeah, home home medal is always cool. It is pretty cool. So, yes, 1996 there. Going back to, though, when it all kind of started bubbling, the first time Agassi noticed Graf was 1992. They'd both won Wimbledon. And there was a bit of a tradition at the Champions Ball. So up until that year, the male and female singles champions sort of got together and did a little dance to celebrate. But a couple of the previous winners had kind of said, oh, it's a bit cringy. I don't know if we really want to be doing this. They probably didn't use the word cringy because that wasn't a word back then. But they basically said, look, we don't want to do this anymore. And for the first time in a very, very long time, they called that off and there were no new balls back then. Ah, Sorry. That's a balls joke that wasn't sex related. It took me half a second to... This is true. This is very true. Yeah. So unfortunately for Agassi in particular, because he was the one that kind of developed the feelings first, he didn't really get the, the dance that he was hoping for. And he'd, he'd gone out and got himself a nice tux and was... Oh, like, he was looking forward to it. That's that, yeah. great about That's himself. Funny. Didn't work. They also had a brief interaction at the Miami Open that same year. And Agassi kind of admitted at the time that he was borderline stalking Graf at that stage, <laughs> which makes the next bit a bit interesting because in 1993, Agassi met and started dating Brooke Shields. And they were together for you know a little bit of time. They got married in 97. Unfortunately, they got divorced in 99 due to a reason I was not aware of. We actually have an episode coming up a bit later in this series about Piper's piping. Yes. Supposedly, Agassi admitted to using crystal meth. Yeah, it's one. It's funny. It's one of those ones that, like, initially I was like, oh, and now I'm kind of thinking, oh, it's ringing really, really faint bells. Like, I remember he used to wear a wig for all those years. He was actually <laughs> bald for way longer than what people realised. And now that I've had a chance to think about it in the time it took you to drive here... It is ringing bells a little bit more, but I completely forgot about it. Yeah, I had no idea. And Shields was like, okay, well, we need to get some counselling about this. He refused to do it, and that kind of was it. Yeah. The big thing I remember is the 12th man, you know, out. Ah, come on, it only slipped out a little bit. That was about Brooke Shields. Yeah. <laughs> it was. Oh, that is a crack at that one. Now, not long after that, Agassi's coach actually lined up a practice session between he and Graf at Key Biscayne Tournament in Florida. Graf was at the time sort of going, well, why would he want to do this? This makes no sense. But they kind of pushed them together and it, it worked out all right. 
Graf was actually still in a relationship with Michael Bartels, who was a professional racing driver at the time. But Agassi poured his heart out to Graf and they began spending a whole bunch of time together. She kind of developed feelings for him, broke up with Bartels, and they were officially an item, which is kind of exciting. The rest is history. But... Absolutely. And this is 1999. This is around about the time that Steffi kind of got to the end of her career. Agassi kept going until about 2006. But given that Graf was born in 1969, this is a real case of 30 love for her. Very nice. Yes. <laughs> two horrible puns. There we go. Uh, wouldn't be the sport blokes without at least one bad punch. Absolutely. Yeah. And do you know what? Neither were overtly sexual. True. So that's unusual. Uh, give it time. Exactly. <laughs> so two years later, they got married at Agassiz's Las Vegas property and they just celebrated their 22nd wedding anniversary. Got two kids together as well. I wanted to round this out with an excerpt from an article on the Nine News website. And this is, I, I guess, a really good way of outlining just how much these two are still in love and or certainly were at that time and I believe still are now. So the pair's affection for one another was clear when Agassiz spoke at Graf's induction into the Women's Tennis Hall of Fame in 2004. Describing his wife as, quote, the greatest person he'd ever known, he said, you've spent many years of your life competing, but right here, where we stand, in the ears of your children, and right now in my heart, you have no rival. Oh, touching. Very nice. In response, Graf said, tennis has been a journey, and the best part of this journey is it led to you. I'll be forever grateful for that. Fancy winning... 22 majors, completing all of them in one year with a gold medal, and that not being the best thing to come out of. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. It's fantastic. It, it is. But it goes to show love trumps all. It does. It mm. does. So there you go. So yeah. A success story. A little success story to start with. And I believe you have another one to sort of go with. Yeah, I hope, I hope both of mine are success stories. This one doesn't tackle the perils of distance. The other one does, which is why we've saved those last two for last. But... This one's very close to home. In fact, it's so close it's here in Frio. And it's Cara and Ebony Antonio who met at the WA State Tryouts and got married while members of the Frio Dockers. I got invited to go down to state training and finally got to meet this so-called Juddy and turns out she was a top chick. I guess it was love at first sight, Ebony said. So while the two squared off against one another in the women's WAFL Grand Final, they actually much prefer playing together and played a number of seasons together with the female Fremantle Dockers team here. We don't take this for granted. Every opportunity we get to train together, play together, win together, lose together. It doesn't matter because we're doing it together. So just before they went on a trip to Bali together, Ebony referred to then Cara Donnellan as her future wife in her acceptance speech for the Club Champion Award, not knowing that Cara had actually bought a ring and planned to propose to her on that very trip they were about to embark on. So Ebony was quoted prior to the engagement saying, when we're at the footy, as hard as it is, we're teammates and we've got a job to do. Then as soon as we get in the car, we can be us. Cara said, I tend to be a little bit harder on Ebony around the footy club and around the ground. We've had a few moments where she's pushed me back. And there was a story from the Derby where Ebony kicked a goal. Cara was telling her to dish it off. She was like, give it, give it off, give it off. And she went for the goal instead. So she didn't listen to, I can't remember if they were married. I think they were by then. She didn't listen to her wife's advice at that point. But uh, she kicked the goal, so it was worthwhile. Well, they, <laughs> they have to be married if she didn't listen to her wife. <laughs> Fair point. I mean, come on. <laughs> So you played beach volleyball with your wife. Obviously, the stakes aren't quite as high, but uh, has that ever caused? Well, Division One social volleyball at Osborne <laughs> Park is way more important than AFLW. Well, sadly, there'd be a segment of society that would actually believe that. But anyway, yeah, sure. that's a good point. <laughs> let, me, let me just quickly point out that I am joking on that. I'm not being serious. 
Has that ever like added to any additional fights, or have you ever had any interesting times on the on the sand there together? Had any fights or disagreements? I would like to think that it's been an enjoyable time. I think if you asked her, it would probably be completely different. But <laughs> I find that when I'm on the court, I've always been the sort of person I talk a lot. Anyone who plays volleyball with me will know I'm constantly talking. I'm calling that ball's out, or I'm calling who should be taking the shot or whatever it happens to be. Well, a good teammate communicates. Yeah, but I, I find that I tend to be by far the most, the the, the, the highest communicator out of all of them. I, I, I do it all the time. Well, 11 Piper's piping, that's coming. Oh, no, that's not. Oh, no, no, not that kind of high, no. <laughs> but uh, yeah, one of the things that I, I like to do, because she doesn't play all the time, is I do like to kind of remind her about positioning, you know, make sure that the ball's coming off that part of the net, you need to be positioned here, I'll take this part to try and sort of help cover it up. But look, she's one of these girls that just has really good hand-eye coordination, just naturally. Played a lot of tennis growing up. She's one of these girls. She can, hasn't played golf in probably 10 years. I guarantee you if she picked up a club, she'd pipe one 180 straight down the middle. I, it just drives me bonkers sometimes. Well, it sounds like this has maybe helped your relationship rather than hindered. So a little bit, yeah. yeah. Uh, Jim, it's funny you say that because I actually had a memory pop up on Facebook about, I don't know, two days ago <laughs> that said... I honestly believe that women that can play volleyball well are 38.4% more attractive than those who don't. So the <laughs> fact that my wife has a very good serve on her and there you go. can play well, it's certainly, uh, yeah, it's just it's a little something there. Very nice. Very nice indeed. So, we, yeah, we thought we'd bring this one up because it's a good news story and an interesting one too. So the AFLW has been really great at normalising same-sex relationships. As Caroline Wilson once wrote, the great achievement of the AFLW in this area has been to expose the complete acceptance to the point of indifference to what was once considered controversial. And that's no small feat. So on this, Ebony said, just be who you are and own it. There's a platform out there now that you can finally step onto and feel comfortable about who you truly are. In previous generations, you couldn't step onto that platform because it was a no-go zone. I think that's the best thing about the competition. There's so many girls that are either gay or whatever they may be, they're just so open about it. Since day dot, the AFLW has been so inclusive about it. So one of them is retired now, but uh, yeah, hopefully that's a success story that continues and pretty cool. The idea of playing professional sport with a spouse is pretty rare. Well, I mean, I've got another one that I really like, kind of a similar sort of story, and it's Chelsea Randall and Mariano Radstich that played for the Adelaide Crows. I am a very, very big fan of The Amazing Race, and those two actually appeared on The Amazing Race Australia a few seasons back. We kind of got to know a bit more about their story and the ins and outs of their relationship and kind of how they got together. And it was a really, really great story and just so nice to see two people in love that, you know, no matter what the orientation is, love is love. Love is love. Uh, and it, it was, it was a great story. They did really well on the- They would have won a grand final together. They would have done that. the AFLW. They yeah. would have done They've just actually had a baby as well. Oh, congratulations. A couple of months ago. So yeah, really, really nice to, to see. And, and yeah, just lovely people, just really great down to earth people that, because you quite often see on that show, people are all about winning. It's like, yeah, it, at all costs. Yeah, and yeah. They sometimes forget to you know shake the, the hand. Humanity, and, yeah. yeah. Shake the hand of the person who's given them the clue or say thank you or whatever. They were really down to earth. I really enjoyed watching them. And yeah, just great story. Excellent. Now, maybe this isn't so great a story, but it's interesting. Well, it, it is great in that it kind of works out okay in the end. But it's one of those ones that, yeah, could have gone a little bit, yeah, <laughs> one of those. So it involves initially the relationship between Caroline Wozniacki, the Danish tennis player, and Rory McIlroy, the golfer from Northern Ireland. Both number ones at one stage or another. Yep, so I'm hovering around those number ones as much as I can. And then it also turns out to be 
Caroline Wozniacki and David Lee. Yeah, I forgot about that one. Which was basically the, uh, the the second relationship that she got into. Yeah. Now, I think, as I said, the Wozniacki and McElroy pairing kind of outlined that whole area of where relationships can be so difficult. You've got Wozniacki, who, as you mentioned, reached number one in the world in tennis on a couple of different occasions, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah. And she's obviously playing in these big tournaments all around the world. McElroy reached number one in the world in golf at a similar sort of time as well, but he was certainly right up there as well. And you've got big tournaments in the golf being played in America at times when there's big tournaments being played in the UK and in France. So, And this is where it's different to Agassi and Graf, where they're probably at the same tournaments. Yeah, well, certainly yeah. for the most part. Yeah, they're... often. And for the, the major Grand Slams. The as Grand well. Slams, yeah. 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 So you've got these two incredible athletes at the peak of their powers and are absolute world beaters. Now, they started dating in 2011, just after Wozniacki reached number one and not long before Rory did. They dated until 2014. McElroy proposed on New Year's in Sydney with a $212,000 ring. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Jesus Christ, it's, uh, it's not bad. And look, even though Wozniacki's play had dropped significantly, she kind of felt like she was maybe sacrificing a little bit of what she did to support him. She was absolutely over the moon, though, regardless of the fact that she wasn't number one anymore. She wasn't winning Grand Slams. She was happy. But out of nowhere, in May that same year, Rory decided that he didn't want to go on with a relationship, saying, quote, the problem is mine. The wedding invitations issued at the weekend made me realise that I wasn't ready for all that marriage entails. I wish Caroline all the happiness she deserves and thank her for the great times we've had. This came after he apparently called Wozniacki up and had a 10-minute conversation with her. She thought he was joking at first. Wow. And it just caught her off guard and he basically hung up and that was it. She oh, never heard from him again. That's it. Oh. So yeah, to not even do that in person, yeah, pretty rough. Now, she took it really well. She took it in her stride, started getting some of her form back. She made the US Open final that year, even managed a little bit of a barb at McElroy saying, well, at least I can wear heels again because Rory's five centimetre shorter now. It's <laughs> uh. a pretty good effort. Now, obviously no one except Rory knows the exact reason for it, but what he listed as the reason for me is absolute bullshit because he was engaged to Erica Stoll in December the following year. Right. And married her in 2017. So, And also it's not unusual for a couple to break up an engagement but stay together beyond like just push the date back. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So for him to say I wasn't ready for all that, that marriage entails, he clearly was. I just have a feeling that it might have been to do with the fact that they both wanted to continue with their careers and he either wasn't willing to let his go or didn't feel able to support her in hers. So that's absolutely fine. There's nothing wrong Well, shit happens, yeah. We're yeah. going in different directions, but yep. just do it in person. Yeah, anyway. yeah. well, yeah, yeah, that's, that's rough. Yeah. So it ended for both parties. It did end fairly well, but as I mentioned, Rory found his soulmate. They've got a kid, at least one kid together. He won the Open Championship and the PGA Championship in 2014. He's had a boatload more tournaments since then. He hasn't defected to live? Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. There, there is talk of a live PGA merger, though, which is a bit scary. Uh, it was all, well, it was always a possibility. Yeah. It was always a possibility, yeah. So, yeah. yeah Rival leagues often get absorbed, yeah. Now, one of the things Wozniacki said afterwards was that she was hoping to date a taller man. And boy, oh boy, did she find that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Started dating former NBA All-Star David Lee, who I believe is, what, 6'10", 6'11"? Oh, at least 6'9". Yeah, 6'9", I think. Yeah, big dude. Yeah. And let's just say he was always very, very good at rebounding. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. (laughs) 
yeah. Yeah, very good career. They did well though. They yeah. they began their relationship in 2017. They got engaged November the same year, so nine months later. They got married in 2019. They've got two beautiful children together. The great thing with this relationship though is even though David Lee was a pro athlete as well, he'd actually retired by the time they got engaged. In fact, pretty much that same year after a year with your Spurs. Yes, right. Did he finish with us? I he thought did. he might. Ah, okay. Yeah. Yep. He did finish with the Spurs. So he was able to kind of support her on her journey because he, you know, he's seven years older than her and she was still at an age where she could go back and compete. And she sort of said, well, you know, I, I kind of feel like I want to go back and compete. He's like, yep, go for it, do it. She went on to absolutely complete that comeback. She had a dominant win in the 2017 WTA finals. Her first Grand Slam win at the 2018 Australian Open, an absolute epic over Simona Hallett. She regained the world number one, that same process. Unfortunately, that year she was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis and it kind of mm. slowly derailed the, the rest of her career, but she did get that Grand Slam win, which is great. Yes. And she did. She struggled with it for over a year. She retired in 2020, did make a comeback this year at the US Open, and she lost to eventual champion Coco Golf in the fourth round. She's only 33. She does still have a little bit of time on her hand. Fourth round's nothing to sneeze at. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And if she can manage that pain, she still has the game. She's a very, very aggressive player. Uh, I love what she brings to the court. And yeah, I, I honestly hope that she can do similar things moving forward. But look, even though things didn't work out for both of them as a couple, they absolutely did work out in their new relationships. Indeed, yeah. It, it turned out all right in the end. That's it. Speaking of that, hopefully this one turns out all right. So this is two Aussies, and I guess it's probably a bit of an obvious one, really. Mitch Stark and Elisa Healy. So they first met in under 10 Northern Districts, both as wicket keepers, funnily enough. Do you know he started as a wiki? I did know that. Did you say recently, actually, at the World Cup, he was keeping to a number of the bowlers? Oh, really? No, I didn't. And <laughs> there were a lot of people saying, what the fuck is one of our main fast bowlers doing with the keeping? Yeah, right. He pops one on the end of the finger. And yeah, 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 yeah. So, yes, I, I did know he was a keeper. <laughs> yeah, so so first they were opponents, but then a year later, they actually started sharing glove duties on the same team, which was coached by his dad which was interesting as well. So they stayed in touch for many, many years throughout their teens. He he admitted to having a crush on her basically as soon as they became teenagers. Sounds like it might be a little bit similar to the uh, Andre Agassi, Steffi Graf. I think the bloke was maybe a bit more interested first here. So Mitchell Stork. <laughs> I don't think he stalked her, no. but I like the pun. <laughs> and they actually started hanging out a lot in Queensland because he was at the academy and she was playing hockey for New South Wales. I forgot about that. Did you remember? I she did not know that. Yeah. So th yet again, another really elite sports person playing multiple sports. So they married in 2016. They've been married for several years now. They're, you, they're clearly very in love. They're clearly best friends. She said that she was so happy she married her best friend. It's a really nice story. And look, they they kind of, they, they're very cheeky with one another. And, and she likes to, you know, a bit of trash talk. They have a thing called the Steely Cup which is where they play each other in golf every year. And apparently she beats him, I think, every year. Well, she gets probably 30, 40 metres off the tee every time. Oh, well, I didn't think no, of that. Do you know one thing I will say, sorry, just quickly about that? I always find that the blokes hit the ball a mile further, but the women... The precision. The precision, yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Their short game compared to the blokes yeah. is way better, as yeah. a, a generalisation. Yeah, no, interesting observation. So there was that famous story of her of him pinching one of her bats this year when she was on tour that apparently he took to the World Cup. 
he said though recently that she pitched one of his bats back in the day. Oh, so yeah, no. he was just returning the favour. But uh, he was seen at the uh, recent T20 World Cup when she had a very good tournament there. I, she had a couple of massive knocks. I was going to bring that up. Yeah, 170 love, and a 70 in the final. I just love the fact that he supports her. That yeah, way. that's really nice of yeah. that. Yeah, so they support each other where they can. But the, the tough thing, and this is what we kind of alluded to, they only have six weeks of leave they get to spend together each year. So they're in touch every day, thanks to the internet. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Should we feel bad about We only get between four and six weeks of leave to spend with our respective partners. Yeah, but well, we live with them. Yeah, well, not by choice. <laughs> no, that's very different. They're not physically together very often at all. Oh, but they're also rich as anything. Yeah, well, so. okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, t- I'm, I'm trying to feel sorry for them, but I'm, it's just, it's hard. Uh, anyway, so I've got a bonus naughty here, Ooh. and it's a typical couple one. So it's the older, like, the there's cheating, and then there's cheating. So I've got a quote here from Elisa. We started watching Billions or something like that together. And we were like, oh, we're at home. Let's watch it together. That'll be great. Anyway, I went out, I reckon to the hockey training or something, and came home and there's Mitch on the couch watching without me. And I've never felt so betrayed in my life. I think I literally said I wish that I walked in and there was another woman here because I actually think this is so much worse. (laughs) I mean... It is a common thing. Me and, me and Lindsay are really good at not jumping ahead in episodes, but I hear it happen all the time. And I've heard stories of people like pretending that they haven't jumped ahead and then like making some comment where they give it away. <laughs> I see your face. <laughs> I've never You're done that. You're clearly guilty of this one. You're I've pretty... never done that at all. <laughs> so what gave you away? No, no, nothing gave me away. I got away with it. Oh, there you go. All right. Oh, that's I have a po- 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 poker face. Ah, very good. Yes. Uh, I actually had to do that today in the basketball as well because I rocked up to mum and dad's house to ah. wrap a present and saw that he was in the second quarter and I was like, oh, how are the Wildcats doing? Knowing full well that... We'd lost. It, well, no, I, at that stage, it was right in the middle of the fourth quarter. Oh, no, okay. So I, I knew the score then and I was like, oh, yeah, oh, we're up by eight. Oh, that's good. Keep going, cats. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, good work. So there you go. Day two in the books. We've got one more to do and we'll record it right now. But until then... Tune in tomorrow for Three French Hens, probably the closest thing to a normal episode. Yeah, relatively normal. Yeah, yeah. So we'll tackle a few things. Indeed. Stay in love, people.